Please be seated. an ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood, who is love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. On the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the flood gates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how glorious is my Savior's love for me. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how glorious is my Savior's great love on me anew. Without measure, full and boundless, drawing out my heart to you. You alone will be my glory, nothing in the world I see. You have cleansed and sanctified me, you yourself have set me free. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how glorious is my Savior's love for me. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how glorious is 
Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 in your Bibles. Thank you, men. One of my favorite songs. John chapter 11 is where we're at. We've been looking here at um, a part of the gospel record where our Lord Jesus Christ is in the final months of his earthly ministry. Um, For the most part, uh, Judaism has rejected him entirely. Um, Many people in Israel had believed upon him, but many, perhaps many more, had rejected him. The Jews, the Jewish leadership that is, was hating him, and we're going to see that unfold a little bit more fully here this morning in John chapter 11. But you know, as we looked to hear it just last week on Sunday morning, that Jesus was in Bethabara, about 20 miles away from Bethany. And there in Bethany, which was, Bethany is in Judea, um, and um, only about two miles away from Jerusalem, Jesus was not in that region anymore because of the hostility of the Jewish leadership against him. And uh, word came to him by a messenger sent from Mary and Martha, good friends of his, uh, that their brother, Lazarus, was sick. And um, sick unto death. He was, they were not expecting him to live. I think they were beside themselves. And, and so as they looked and considered the situation that they found themselves in with Lazarus, their dear brother, a friend, a beloved man of Jesus, someone who Jesus loved. He was, they felt dying. They sent quickly a messenger 20 miles, which would, could have been accomplished in one day if the messenger made haste, and I believe that he did. And so he brought the message to Jesus that Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus was sick. And Jesus received that message. He gave the messenger a response, and the messenger carried that response from Jesus to Mary and Martha to them. Uh, which would have been another day's journey back. Jesus then, you remember, stayed in Bethabara two more days. So you have one day, the messenger comes, two days, Jesus stays, that's three days. A fourth day, Jesus and his disciples go to Bethany, and, uh, and he's told that by Martha that Lazarus has been dead four days, which tells us, that Lazarus actually died the day that the messenger was sent from Mary and Martha to Jesus. And we might ask the question, especially after a song like we just heard, a very beautiful song about the love of God for us and the love of God that he would have had for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we might ask the question, does Jesus care? If he loves us so much, Why is it that he allows difficult circumstances to come into our lives? Why is it that Jesus even allowed Lazarus to be sick at all? I mean, Lazarus loved the Lord. Lazarus, I believe, was born again. Mary and Martha had believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. These were saved people, people who Jesus loved. Why did Jesus even allow Lazarus to get sick in the first place? Or why did Jesus delay his going to Mary and Martha? Why didn't he leave immediately with the messenger and go make haste to go to Bethany, the 20-mile journey from Bethabara? He was going to go. Now, you remember the disciples, and Thomas put it into words for us. uh, Why would we go to Bethany? (laughs) 
don't you remember in Judea, they're wanting to stone you. So from the disciples' perspective, the message came, Jesus gave his response, and he didn't go. And to the disciples, that made sense because, after all, there was a lot of hostility and hatred for Jesus and his ministry in Judea. So for the disciples might have interpreted it this way, for our own safety, we're not going to go back to Bethany. But Jesus knew he was going to go to Bethany. Why didn't he just make haste and go? Of course, he would have known that Lazarus was going to die that day, but still, he could have comforted Mary and Martha, don't you think? I mean, why leave them mourning in grief for these four days? Why not just make it two days? Or why didn't Jesus heal Lazarus from a distance like he did the boy in Capernaum from Cana, do you remember? Why didn't Jesus do this? We might ask ourselves the question, does Jesus care? We rejoice, we rejoiced in our hearts as the men, the quartet, just sang that song about God's love for us because we know the answer to the question I'm posing, does Jesus care? Does God love us? We know the answer. But uh, as we go through life, as we navigate life in general, and the heartaches of life, and the grief of life, and the challenges of life, sometimes we have to be reminded of this question, does Jesus care? Does he know my grief? Does he know my pain? Does he know where I'm at? Has he forgotten about me? Does Jesus care? It says, does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song? I've watched some of you over the years at times of pain um, where, and we're all different in personality, so some of us we sing and the tears flow and others of us can't sing. There are times where you can't sing. As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Some of you have endured that, falling again and again and again, and you wonder, is this the salvation of the Lord? Does Jesus care? Or maybe it isn't you, maybe it's a loved one, and they fall again and again and again. Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? Many of you have said goodbye to people whom you love. And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Is it ought to him? Does he care? And of course, the refrain goes that he does care, it tells us over and over again that Jesus does care. I know he cares. His heart is touched by my grief, right? He does care. And I want you to see that in the passage because it, it's a familiar narrative. We know the story very, very well. But there, there are several things I want to ponder. Last week we saw that Jesus wanted the faith of his disciples to grow. And this morning I want to consider more closely that Jesus wanted the faith of these two sisters, Mary and Martha, to grow. Uh, The Bible says that no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Um, The Bible tells us that he gives us grace to go through the life that he's called us to live. The Bible tells us that he is good, that his mercies endure to all generations, his mercies are new every morning, that he's faithful, 
I want you to look back to chapter 9 for just a moment before we read our text. Look, at, look back at chapter 9. Look at verse number 3. You remember the blind man from birth. And then verse 2, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Think about that. God made a, a man blind. God made a man blind from his birth, his whole life, for God's glory. What are some of the, I don't know that we have any blind folks in our congregation. We have people who struggle with eyesight. We have some who are losing eyesight. Uh, We all have different challenges in life, don't we? Deficiencies, weaknesses. Why did God make you the way he made you? You say, well, he messed up. No. I'm not going to answer you, Mrs. Willis. (laughs) He didn't mess up. He did it on purpose. He, uh, He made this man blind from his birth for his glory. And I would submit to you, you are the way you are. He made you the way you are for his glory. Because he wants you, he wants me to learn to trust him more and more each day. He wants us to know every fiber of our being, the depths of our souls, that he alone is God. He He alone is the one that satisfies and gives peace. And he alone is the one who can be trusted and nothing and no one can replace him. Look in chapter 2. Chapter 11, where we'll be reading here this morning. And in this particular passage, we know uh, that Lazarus was born, he lived a life, he trusted Christ, he loved Christ, and then he dies. Look at verse number 4 of John chapter 11. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And I submit to you that just like the blind man was born blind and lived a long life blind before he ever was made to see, I submit to you that Lazarus, God had a special plan for Lazarus' life. And God wanted Lazarus to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. God wanted Lazarus, even in his death, to bring glory to God, like the blind man. God had a purpose for him. God has a purpose for you and for me. God has a purpose for every trial and every test. No matter how small it may seem, no matter how insurmountable it may be. Yesterday I was bringing the children to play practice in, for the Christmas play and Cindy was recovering from being ill and she called me and she said, hey, the sump pump is making this horrible noise and it smell, something smells like it's burning in the basement. Great, you know, wonderful. You have an idea what I felt like for a moment there? I think I might have said something like, Thank you, Lord. You know, that wasn't the feeling. Dropped the kids off, went home, changed the clothes. 
I knew I had a problem. We had a well put in about a, a week and a half ago. When they dug, trenched the well, they unearthed the four-inch drain pipe leaving the house um, where the sump pump exits into. And in it, was, it was fully clogged with roots from a tree nearby. And it had been working more slowly, and it was on my list of to-dos. So we identified it. They plugged some other four-inch in there and ran it out, and they said, you should be fine. It never worked again. My children will tell you there, were, there was a geyser coming up out of the ground. And the pump would kick on, and all of a sudden it was this little geyser, little mini fountain. I said, honey, don't you, isn't this what you've always wanted? A mini fountain close to the foundation of the house. Perfect. So I knew I had to get it done. Well, yesterday the pump decided today's the day. So I was out there with a pickaxe, a Maddox, shovel. I'm trenching 25 feet, so many feet deep, 25 feet long. And my William comes out there and he says, "Um, are you searching for treasure, Dad? (laughs) Yes. I am searching for treasure. Do you think I'll find any? I think we had a little conversation about buried treasure. We didn't find any. That, that was my day yesterday. Okay, so that, that's just, right, that's life, but it's a trial. And there are trials like some of you have gone through who said goodbye to a loved one all of a sudden on one day. There's a trial I won't name. Can't name names. You, uh, word came to you that health was not good and limited time to live. And, you know, I was thinking about some of you this past week about how we began, we began this last year, 2019, and we had plans. Life was moving ahead. We, we thought we would come to this next Thanksgiving and to the next year and things would be the same. At least some things would change, but We'd all still be here, but there are many that are not here today. This morning, the Lord took them home to be with him, and it wasn't by our choosing. And and I'm reminding some of you who have lost loved ones, God chose for Lazarus to die for his glory, for his glory. And every trial that comes into our life, whether it's a plugged-up sump pump or whether it is a loved one going on to glory, dying, this life ending, and the grief that you and I endure, life not going according to our plan, I submit to you that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And if you are a child of God and you have been called according to his purpose, he has a design for your life. He has a plan for your life. And part of that plan is that you and I would grow closer to him, that we would trust him more, that we would believe upon him, not just having believed in the past, but that we would continue to believe and continue to glorify him and see his glory, his power, his provision, his goodness, his comfort, as we go through this life, it brings glory and honor to him. Let's look at our passage, John chapter 11. I'll begin reading in verse number 17. Verse 17. I'm going to read down through verse 40. 
Um, and then we'll look at this passage this morning. It says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he, that is Lazarus, had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. It's only about two miles. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had uh, so said, she went her way and called her Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Many of you have gone back to the grave of your your loved one, your departed loved one, to weep there. Verse 32, Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the, in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. I'm going to keep reading But as you go through life, if you'll keep believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see the glory of God. You hear me? You say, Pastor Ferguson, where I'm at, I am not seeing anything. I can't hardly see my way till tomorrow. And Pastor Seth, I'm really not seeing God work. I submit to you the words of Jesus to Martha that day are words for you and for me. If thou wouldest believe, if you'll believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. You'll see it if you'll keep trusting him. And let's pray there. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, this morning as we look at your word. Father, a familiar passage. I pray that you would draw our hearts out to love you as you love us to love one another. Lord, I pray that you draw our hearts out to trust you. Lord, it's going to be a step of faith for many in this room. Really, it is for each one of us. But for those who are suffering, 
Uh, Father, it really is a step of faith to believe, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Father, I pray for some that they would, there'd be a wonderful victory this morning. That there'd be some peace that washes over their soul and spirit as they simply trust you. And they give the burden to you to carry. Lord, I pray these things for your honor and for your glory. Speak to us now by your spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now remember that Jesus had a close relationship with Mary and Martha. Uh, You're in chapter 11. Look with me at verse number 3. Verse number 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So Mary and Martha, it made a lot of sense to them. Lazarus is sick, and we know that Jesus loves him. Um, I, I, be, I would imagine, uh, I know, we know that Jesus loved Lazarus, but I imagine that Lazarus had responded or reciprocated that love back to Jesus. Um, Jesus would stop by Bethany, and he would uh, spend time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They had a relationship. There was a closeness there. And... Um, So it says here very plainly that Jesus loved Lazarus. Look at verse number 5. Now Jesus, it says in verse 5, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then look all the way to verse number 36. Verse 36 says, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. Now they were a little confused, but I'll still cite the passage. And it's obvious from the words of Mary and Martha, the words of Jesus, that Jesus loved these people. The men just saying how he loves you and me. It's immeasurable, his love for you and for me. And again, I submit to you this morning, even while it's obvious from the passage that Jesus loved this family, he still allowed a death to occur, and he still allowed two sisters to grieve deeply. Are you okay with that? And not just for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but are you okay? And this is a test I'm asking of you about your faith, is what I'm asking you about. I'm asking you if you trust, you're willing to trust the Lord. Are you willing to trust him if nothing changes in the circumstance? Are you willing to trust him and continue to love him if nothing changes in the marriage, nothing changes in the workplace, nothing changes with your children, are you willing to trust him if nothing is different? We're going to come to something a little bit later on here this morning that really is an incredible testimony by a grieving woman who says... I believed in the past, but even though the circumstances are what they are, I will continue to believe you and trust you. It is a powerful, powerful statement of faith. And by the way, it really strikes me because um, she was in the middle of grief. I, I don't think she said it with a smile on her face. There might have been tears just streaming down her face. Maybe she was physically exhausted as she's been going through this time of mourning. She's been having the questions we know 
If, what if you had been here, but it's an incredible statement of faith. So I want you to notice here this morning that Jesus wanted the faith of the sisters to grow. Um, He was concerned not only about the faith of his own disciples, the men who were close to him, but also about the faith of Mary and Martha. In verse number 26 here in chapter 11, he says this, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never, and the verbiage there is never, never die. Believest thou this? He asks the question. He's testing her faith. Look down to verse number 40. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. You will see God's glory. You're going to see Him work. You're going to see Him do what is best. You're going to see Him do what is right. You're going to be able to recognize it. You're going to be able to give Him glory if you will continue to believe. He's saying this. And so God wants, frankly, He wants every experience and I use the sump pump, which really doesn't fit in with this a whole lot, but I'm, I'm giving you some perspective. Whether it's something as simple as that to something as grievous as some of you are going through, God wants every experience of suffering. He wants every trial to increase our faith. And this kind of spiritual growth, again, I want to tell you, is not automatic. Because some of us might be tempted to say, okay, I'm going through a time of trial, And you know what? It's hard, but you know what? It's just going to be automatic. God's going to increase my faith through this. And I want to tell you that's not necessarily the case. Because you and I have a role to play too. How are we responding to the trial? How are we responding to what God has allowed into our lives? Yesterday when Cindy gave me that call... I didn't lose my mind, but I didn't say, thank you, Lord, either. Kind of felt, ooh, really, this isn't what I had planned? Okay, that might be a little on the light side of acting. Maybe there was a little more passion involved. How are we responding to the trial? How do we respond? And he knoweth our frame. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're people. He knows us. I don't think he's disturbed by that. But he wants every experience of suffering and every trial to increase our faith. So what is necessary for our faith to grow as we encounter suffering? What is necessary for our uh, faith to grow as we go through the trials of this life? And the answer is, we need to respond in a positive way to the instruction of God. There are, there's instruction, very specific instruction in the Word of God as to how to navigate trials. The last couple of Sunday nights, we looked at some very specific instruction from God's Word as to how I'm supposed to go through the trial, or but I maybe should better put it this way, how we can be patient going through life. How we can be patient. How we can keep from getting all in a frenzy, all worked up, um, all agitated. How can we do that? And we've been looking on Sunday nights at how that's possible. So if I'm going to go through a trial, if you are going to go through a trial, and you and I don't normally get to choose them, or none of us would choose them, if we're going to go through the trial, don't you want the trial to accomplish something in your life? Don't you want to come through the trial? If you're going to have to go through it anyway, don't you want to come through it uh, closer to the Lord and pleasing God? I do. 
I've gone through trials before in my life where I went the wrong way. I kept, kicked and pouted and was annoyed and complained. And you know what? And guess what? I, I really believe God brought me through some more trials to help me grow. Um, it's kind of like um, a spanking for a young child. If they respond submissively and obediently, there's no spanking. There's no chastening. But if they continually go against it, their authority, there has to be more spankings. Have you ever as a parent just been looked at your child and just like, just do what I ask. Just obey. I'm hating this more than you are. You know, just obey. Just trust me on this one. You know. So sometimes, uh, sometimes there is chastening that God brings into our lives. I'd like to just learn at the first time through the trial. So we need to respond positively to God's word and his instruction. We need to respond positively to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to read a passage to you from Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read four verses. And it talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. It says in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if, he, if there's consolation in being in him, that we have salvation, that heaven is real, that we have been forgiven of our sins, past, present, there's consolation in being in Christ. If there's consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, and how much we love to be comforted when we're going through hardship. Well, Christ comforts us by his love. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if he's in the battle with us, if any bowels and mercies, that is, he feeling our infirmities, going through life, feeling them, knowing them, experiencing them with us as we go through life. Paul says this, if you've experienced him working in your life, he says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Don't live your life about, what, about you, who you are, what you can do. Be thoughtful of those around you, your brothers and sisters in Christ console, comfort one another? Are you, are you responding to the comforting of the Holy Spirit that he's providing you? Or is your attitude of one, get away from me? You did this. You allowed this. Is that where you're still at? Everyone responds differently, and that's for many reasons, but the primary reason is what we believe God, who we believe God to be. Do we trust his heart? Do we trust his goodness? Do we trust him to be what the men saying, that he is love, vast as an ocean, loving kindness, deep and wide? Do we trust him in that? Do we trust him to be who the Bible tells us he is? So Jesus has sent his word to the sisters. Look at verse number 14 in John chapter 11. Look at verse number 14. Jesus had sent his word to the sisters. John 11, verse number 14. 
Then said Jesus unto them plainly, um, Lazarus is dead. And now he would discover how they would receive it, how they would receive God's word. His word went to them in verse number four. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. That was the message that they would have received. It's a sickness not unto death, but he did die. It was a sickness for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And I want to remind you in verse 21 to beware of the word if. I mentioned it briefly last week, but look at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. In other words, what she was saying was, Jesus, if you had done something differently, Lazarus would still be alive today. How many of us in this room could echo that sentiment? God, if you had done something different, if you, had, if you had healed that person, Lord, if you had just revealed the problem to us, we could have taken care of it. That kind of takes God out of the picture. Lord, you could have done something different, and that's what she's saying. In verse number 32, Mary, you remember, said the same thing. At the end of verse 32, Mary says this to Jesus, Lord, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And again, I mentioned it briefly last week, but I believe Mary and Martha had been talking about this. Why didn't Jesus come? Why didn't Jesus heal our brother? He loves him. He loved him. Lazarus loved Jesus. I mean, this was a time when many people in Israel hated Jesus. Many of the people in Israel wanted Jesus dead. Why wouldn't Jesus just take care of one man who loved him? Beware of the word if. Beware of the word if. You remember the event recorded in Luke chapter 10 where Mary and Martha were reminded they were quite different in their personalities. Martha was the active one. She was always working. I believe, it seems to me she was the organizer, taking responsibility, making sure everybody's in their place, everything, everybody's got what they need, you know. Very active person. And um, Mary was more contemplative. We find her sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. And I'll, I'll remind you, Jesus did not condemn Martha's service, but he did rebuke her from being torn apart by so many different things. Some of us are like Martha like that. You've got so many things. You're taking care of so many things. You're not taking time to spend with your Lord. You're not abiding in him. You're not trusting him. So Jesus told Martha, you need to have the right priorities, and you need to center your activities in the word of God. And it really shouldn't surprise us at all that Martha here was the one who rushed out to meet Jesus, as any good hostess would have done. She's the one mourning, but you know what? doesn't take time for herself. She goes out to meet Jesus. So there's a lot of good to be said about Martha. Mary, meanwhile, is sitting back, in the home, and she's quietly, she's quiet, she's, she's still, she's wondering, she's contemplating. And there are these similarities within these greetings. Both of these sisters ask the question, Lord, or make the statement, and it really is a statement of faith to some degree, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But Jesus hadn't come, and he didn't come, and it took him four days to get there. 
By that time, Lazarus had been dead for four days. I wonder how many times Mary and Martha had posed those words, if, that word, if. Very small word, just two letters. I wonder how many times they had said to one another, if. I wonder how many times you and I have said the word, if. God, if you had just done this differently. Is there anyone here who has some questions for the Lord about some matters? Maybe even a statement of faith like this. God, you could have done things differently. But there's a question that comes with that statement of faith. God, you could have done things differently, and the question is, but why didn't you? Why didn't you? Why didn't you make things different? We could even say that about us. Lord, why didn't you make me different? Lord, why am I not better in these areas? Why, Lord, am I so weak in these areas? Why do I struggle here? Lord, why did you? We, we could go on and on. Beware of the word if, okay? Don't get caught up in that word. You could, you could do that all day long. It's a big word, but it's futile to imagine what might have been. I also notice, and look at verse number 23. Uh, notice that Jesus emphasized the importance of the resurrection. And he did this throughout his earthly ministry. Look at verse number 23. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And so Jesus reemphasizes the doctrine of the resurrection. It had been taught in the Old Testament, while, uh, and, and as he's comforting Mary or Martha, it comes out. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus had clearly taught the resurrection of the human body. In, in, he taught it in his words, he taught it in miracles, he taught it. I'll say it this way, he taught it by his own resurrection itself. Jesus taught, and it's a doctrine, of the resurrection. Jesus taught that death is real, by the way. It's not a surprise to us, but he taught that death is real. We ought not ignore that reality. He taught that there is a life after death. He taught that our physical bodies will one day be raised up by the power of God. These are things that Jesus taught. And he was in agreement with what the Old Testament taught. I also noticed as Jesus was teaching on the resurrection, I I really believe that Jesus transformed this doctrine of the resurrection in another way. He took the doctrine of the resurrection out of the book that had been recorded for us, and he put it into a person. He put it into himself. Look at verse 25 again. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You know, when we're sick, we want a doctor, don't you? How many of you go online and you find help online? Come on. Okay, you don't have to admit it. Nobody admitted that. You're not telling me the truth, though. I know it. (laughs) And you know why? Because I do the same thing sometimes. I'm like, what is this? What's happening? You know, because why? Because I don't want 
to go to the doctor. Now, we all know Dr. Norell's here. Cover your eyes, Dr. Norell. How many of you don't want to go to the doctor sometimes? Okay. <laughs> you don't want to go to the doctor. She doesn't even want to go to the doctor. Okay. The truth is we don't want to go to the doctor, but you know what? When you and I are really sick, there's something really wrong with us, and we don't know what's wrong with us, how many of us want a doctor then? Someone who's knowledgeable, an expert, who knows their stuff. How many of us want a doctor then? All of us do. We want someone who can help us, right? Or, or maybe... Um, uh, we don't, so we don't want to go to a medical blog when, when we're really that sick. And if you're being sued, you want a lawyer. You don't want me to represent you. You want, a, you want someone who knows their stuff. You don't want just a law book. You know, you're there and you're like looking through the book, you know, the law book. How, you don't want that. You want a lawyer. You want someone who knows. When, when, and when we face our last enemy, death, when you face your last enemy, death, you want the resurrection. You want the life that is Jesus Christ, that comes in no one else. You don't want just some words. I'm not talking, I'm not diminishing the word of God. But you're not looking for someone's condolences. When you face death, when I face death, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want him to save me from death. I want him to save me from hell. I want to live with him eternally. And Jesus, he says here, he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he asks her if she believes these things too. I think perhaps the greatest transformation Jesus performed was, well, he's teaching the resurrection, was to move the doctrine of the resurrection, the teaching of the resurrection, out of the future and into the present. You know, Martha was looking to the future, wasn't she? She actually says here, in verse, he says in verse, Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. In verse 24, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last days. Now, Jesus is consoling her here. He's comforting her here. But Jesus moves the resurrection from some distant future event. He moves it into the present. Martha's looking to the future. She, she knows she was a born-again Jew. She knew that Lazarus was going to rise again and she would see him again. Her mourning friends were looking into the past and they're saying things like he could have presented, prevented Lazarus from dying over in verse 37. But Jesus is trying to center everyone's attention upon the present and specifically upon him. The resurrection. I want you to know that wherever Jesus is, his resurrection power is available. In Romans 6 and verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know what? There is an incredible testimony even within this congregation this morning that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Because there was a time in all of our lives, there was a time in our lives when we were dead. And Jesus, when he saved us, he made us alive again. He literally raised us from the dead spiritually. He took death and he turned it into life because he took up residence in our lives. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, 
uh, Paul wrote this, that I may know him, Paul said, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. But Paul is saying, I want to know the power of his resurrection, the very power that raised Jesus' earthly body from the dead is the very power that's going to raise these earthly bodies from the dead. Sometimes I will stop by uh, cemeteries where I have, with family members, laid their loved one to rest, and I'll go to their graves, and I'll stand there. Sometimes I'll pray for the family. Sometimes I'll just think and remember someone that I love and I miss. I'm always reminded as we laid that body to rest, what a powerful testimony, a last testimony it is in burying that person. We are laying them to rest until Jesus raises that body up again and makes it new and infuses it with life that is eternal, that it will never die again. I stand there at those graves and I'm reminded, and sometimes I'll look around those cemeteries and I'll wonder, I wonder how many people in this cemetery have been laid to rest, and they're going to be raised from the dead again to live eternally with me and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with those who love him. So God's resurrection power is available even today. And the question is, do you believe the, the, the doctrine of the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus is going to raise all those who are in Christ who have died physically and are laying in graveyards all over this country and even around the world, you believe that Jesus is going to raise them from the dead. And he asked her the question, notice here, uh, notice in verse number 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, never die. Believest thou this? He asked her the question, and she answers in verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now look at verse 27 again, because Martha uses three names for God. This is amazing. This is an incredible testimony of faith, verse 27. She says, Lord, and the word Lord is the Greek word kurios, which means supreme authority. In other words, the creator, okay? She, she identifies him as the creator, as the supreme authority of heaven and earth. Now, here he is on earth. In the last few months of his earthly ministry, the tide of popular opinion has turned completely against Jesus Christ for the most part. The leadership hates him. He is not a popular individual. And Martha looks at him while she is in the middle. She is grief-stricken and hurting, she looks at him and she identifies him as supreme authority over heaven and earth. You know, there are some of us in this room who could do that. We all ought to do that, but I mean, those, there are some in this room who are, you're in a position kind of like Martha. You're grieving, you're hurting. Life has not worked out in recent years for you the way you thought it was going to work out. Yet, she identifies Jesus as the supreme authority. Lord, you have the right to do with whatever you want to do with my life. You have the right to do with whatever you want. You are the supreme authority of heaven and earth. She also calls him Christ, which means the Messiah or the anointed one. Now, how many people in Israel believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Some did. I think many did. 
but it wasn't a popular opinion. I don't think it was over 50%. I think majority of the Jewish people had rejected him as their Messiah. What, you're not going to feed me? Well, then I'm not on time for you. I'm going to, you're done. You, he's a miracle worker. He's a great teacher. But you know what? He's, you know, he's, he rose up and pipe. now he's fizzling out. I got nothing. But not Martha. Martha, in the midst of her grief, looks at him and she says, you're the Messiah. Then she calls him the Son of God, which should come into the world. By the way, that truth right there was one of the reasons that the religious Jews hated him so much and wanted him to put to death. Especially when he started talking about, I and my father are one. Boy, they, he, you're God, you think you're God. And they, they picked up stones multiple times to stone him, right? They're, they're hunting him down because they hate him. And here's this incredible woman, Martha, full of grief. Full of hurt. Some of it's just the hurt of going through life. Humanity. Like Job, right? Man's born for adversity as the sparks fly upward. It's just part of life going through life. And some of us are really struggling with just going through life. And you know how it's revealing itself? Uh, with a doubt for God. Doubting Him. My life should be better if, if God is who he says he is. My life should be better because of the things I've done for him. Martha doesn't go there. Martha doesn't go there. She says, you're the Lord. You're supreme authority. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of God. It's really an amazing statement of faith. Then also look in verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe. So I believe that thou art the Christ. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Son of God which should come into the world. And I mentioned that word believe to you last week just in passing. And I, I mentioned uh, how I think I said it was in the present tense when actually it's in the perfect tense. But I did give you the right understanding of it. And I'll say it again. What she was saying was her faith was settled. She says, I have believed. And this is what that word, this is grammar, okay? How many of you like Grammar. Okay, but grammar, without grammar, you and I wouldn't understand a thing in writing. You know that? We would be ignorant. But the thing is, none of us really, most of us don't like grammar. Sorry, dear. Cindy teaches grammar. People like her like grammar. How many of you think I like grammar? No. You know what's amazing is I get to study literature every week of my life and give an oral report on what I studied. How about that? Does God have a sense of humor or not? He does. He put me in the perfect spot for me. So here's the thing about grammar, though. Most of us say we don't like it, but we use it all the time. In this word particular, perfect tense, Martha was saying, I believe. Now think about this. Don't forget what's going on with Martha. She is heartbroken. To a degree, Lord, if you'd been here, Lazarus would still be alive. In other words, God, if you you had just done things differently, I wouldn't be so heartbroken. My life would be easier if you had done things differently. But that being true, Martha's statement of faith, there was a time in my life when I believed upon you, Jesus. And you know what? I am going to keep believing and trusting you, even though I'm going through even though I'm going through the grief, I know that you are the supreme authority. I know that you are the Messiah. 
I know that you are the Son of God, and I am not going to stop trusting in you. It is an incredible statement of faith. And it's kind of so sad that I, I think most of my life I've kind of grown up with, you know, there's Martha, you know, working, doing everything, and then there's Mary, you know, the spiritual one. You know, Martha was a spiritual woman. Did she get caught up in being busy? Yeah. Was she the ultra-responsible one? Yeah. Was she the perfect hostess? Yeah. Did she get annoyed? Yeah. But you know what? She was a godly, God-fearing woman who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And she knew him. And he loved her. We need to move along. Notice in verse 31, Jesus encourages Mary's faith. Verse 31. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been there, my brother had not died. Says the same thing. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I told you that word troubled means moved with indignation. Now, the weeping in verse 33 is this loud weeping, very audible, very loud, okay? He's moved with indignation. It would, it would, we talked about some of the things that could have moved Jesus with indignation. Why was he indignant? Um, maybe their lack of trusting him? I haven't preached on it, but there's a passage in Isaiah 7 that's had my attention for about a month. And there's a king there who won't trust God. He won't do the right thing. And uh, prophet Isaiah goes to him, and he says, you're wearying men. Okay, that's one thing. But will you, will you weary God also? Will you weary Jehovah also? You won't, you're not trusting him. You're not, you're not living, ordering your life by his word. You know, trust the Lord. And, uh, and I think Jesus was moved with indignation in part because of their lack of faith, their lack of trust in him. Verse number 34, Jesus asked the question, Where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And it says in verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, I told you this last Sunday night. I didn't mention last Sunday morning at all. But last Sunday night I mentioned this word wept. Jesus wept. It's the only time it's ever used in the, in the Bible. And it has the idea of a, of a silent weeping. Have you ever done that? No, nothing comes out, but the tears just flow. That's the way Jesus cried on this particular day. He weeps. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Now remember I've talked to you, and I've emphasized Martha's faith. But look what Martha says here. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus, don't, don't insult the family. Lord, don't open the, don't open the, the door. I mean, he, he smells. He's been dead four days. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being Martha? She believed that he would be raised from the dead someday, but it wasn't going to be today. And also, as, I, as I'm reminded here, and we know what Jesus is about to do in, in Lazarus, it is, there is a picture of salvation here. 
God taking someone who was dead in their sins and trespasses and raising them from the dead, giving them life that they may walk in newness of life, a life that's pleasing to God. Lazarus was dead. Decay had set in. And by the way, decay sets in in the life of a person who's unsaved. Decay sets in. The longer a person lives that life on this earth as a dead man, the decay grows. Everybody who is unsaved is dead spiritually, but there are different levels of decay. You understand what I'm saying? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth destruction. It, it bringeth forth death. And, and Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, that thou shouldest see the glory of God? Martha, if you'll trust me, you will see the glory of God. And friend, this morning, trust the Lord. Some of us need to kneel this morning and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, I've believed upon you in the past and I'm going to continue to believe upon you in the future as I go forward. Lord, help my unbelief. God, help me to trust in you and believe in, upon, in you and trust you as I go through each day of my life, no matter what comes into my life. Lord, I want to see your glory. God, I want you to be glorified in my life. Some of us need to pray this. We need to beg and plead with God. Lord, I want to see your glory. Help me to trust you. My faith is so weak. Then they took away the stone from the place in verse 41 where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and I knew that thou hearest me always but because of the people which stand by I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He's still interested, by the way, in people believing, the disciples, Mary and Martha and now these others. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And some, some theologians have surmised that Jesus used Lazarus' name because if he hadn't, he would have emptied the whole graveyard. Someday he's going to. And he that was dead came forth. That's a picture of you and me, friend, before we were saved, or when we were saved. Bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council. The religious leaders, they counseled together, and they said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Yeah, I'll say, he's raising dead people uh, and make, giving them life again. they got a, really got a problem on their hands. Verse 48, they say, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. These were the religious leaders. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place. Oh, they were politicians and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, and that name's familiar, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Now, this is a leader. He thinks he knows everything. Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient, it is advantageous, it is profitable, is what he says for us, that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. That's a profound statement. But look at his ignorance in verse 51. And this spake he, not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. 
So he prophesied ignorantly. He didn't know what he was saying. Verse 53, then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. They planned to kill him. Jesus, therefore, walked no more openly among the Jews and went thence into a country near to the wilderness unto a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? They're just consumed with him. Verse 57, Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he was, where Jesus was, he should show it that they might take him. So they hate him more and more. What was the purpose of the death of Lazarus? What was the purpose of this miracle? And here's the answer. For the glory of God. Now within that glory was that he would save souls. It says in the passage, many believe. Within that glory was to grow the faith of his apostles, to grow the faith of two broken-hearted sisters, Mary and Martha, to grow the faith of people who had not yet even believed upon him. And part of that glory of God, the purpose for the death of a man, was that they might experience the glory of God. And I submit to you, that is true for us today. You might ask the question, why, why, and you name it, why, why did my friend have to die, Lord? The answer is for the glory of God. Why, why is this happening with my children? The answer is for the glory of God. Why am I having to suffer? Why aren't things squared away just the way they're supposed to be? Why are things... And ultimately, while man is involved, the Pharisees of life are busily, busily working, conniving. They think they're in control, but ultimately, Jesus was always in control. And it was for his glory, the glory of God. And some of us this morning need to say, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in my life. I don't see how or how this is going to glorify you. I, I'm struggling to go through it. I'm not sure I can make it through it. Lord, I need your help to go through it. But Lord, would you comfort me like you did Mary? Lord, would you work in my heart as you did Martha? Lord, would you help my unbelief like you did your disciples? But Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. I have and I'm going to. And Lord, would you be glorified in my life? There is no greater service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, than when you and I surrender all to him and say, God, glorify yourself through me. Bring people to Christ through my hardship. Lord, grow my faith, which pleases you, through this hardship. Lord, glorify yourself through me. How many of us are willing to say, I surrender all? I surrender all. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around this morning, how many of you would say with a lifted hand, Pastor Seth, there's been a time in my life, like Martha, when I, when I have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he saved my soul, when I believed upon him and trusted him to save me from my sin. 
I am a born-again child of God. How many of you could say that with uplifted hand this morning? Pastor Seth, I know that I'm saved. Many, many hands in this room. Thank you. You may put them down. How many of you might say, Pastor Seth, I couldn't raise my hand. I've never trusted Christ as my personal Savior. But this morning, I would like to. I, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of my soul. If that's you, would you raise your hand in this room that I could see it, that I might pray for you? Anyone like that at all? Pastor Seth, I need to be saved from death and hell. I need to be saved from my, my own sin. Anyone like that at all in this room? To believers, now I speak. You see from the passage how God wants to glorify himself. You see how the, from the passage how he wants to grow our faith. You see how, from the passage how Martha was trusting in him, but how both Mary and Martha were struggling too. But ultimately, I will continue to trust you no matter what. Are there some here this morning who'd say, Pastor Ferguson, I want you to pray with me because I want to give my trial over to the Lord, my grief over to the Lord. And I acknowledge this morning that he has brought it into my life to grow my faith and to glorify him. And Pastor Seth, this morning, I am going to tell the Lord, God, I am thankful for what you're doing in my life. I accept your purpose to grow my faith, and I'm going to pray that God will be glorified. If that's you in this room and you'd like me to pray with you about this big decision, would you raise your hand that I could see it? I see that hand there, another hand here, several up front, some in the back there. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand on my left, some on my right. Let's all take our hymnals and let's stand together.